Hey Claire. Hey Zoe. How's it going? Good. How are you? Good. Uh, it's been a while. You've had yeah. a little break from podcasting. You're a busy lady. Yeah, it's great to be back. Uh, but it was also great to have a break. Um, as I uh, mentioned, you know, busy lifestyle to mm. young kids, lots mm-hmm. of obligations. So mm-hmm. uh, it's it's important to keep a balance. Yeah. And Quillette's just been crazy lately. Like we've got two social events, one in Melbourne at the end of this month, one in London, which is set to be the biggest we've ever done. And we've been publishing so many great articles. One of those, probably my favourite one from last week, was the one by Heather MacDonald. Yeah, about, about the, the Spanish mm, kissing Spanish episode. Kiss, yes, um, with Rubiales, who we're both a bit of a fan of, actually, <laughs> to be honest. He's, he's not a bad-looking guy. Um, but, yeah, what's, what's your take on that? Well, for anyone who doesn't know, uh, Louis Rubiales... Um, spontaneously kissed uh, a member of the Spanish football team, the women's football team, after they had won the World Cup here in Sydney. And it's a sh- it's kind of a shame because the whole kissing fiasco has overshadowed the fact that the Spanish team won, yeah. which is disappointing. But, I mean, my ta- I didn't haven't had much of a take because I ignored the controversy. Mm-hmm. It seemed like a controversy over nothing to me, really. But... Uh, Heather McDonald wrote a piece for us and I thought it was spot on. I thought her argument was uh, quite sharp. Her argument was simply that if we're going to make the argument that women should and can occupy Every single sphere that men do, mm-hmm. such as you know, special forces in the military, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we simultaneously cannot uh, encourage or facilitate or even celebrate mm-hmm. uh, uh, having a breakdown or a crisis after minor transgressions, like being mm-hmm. pecked on the lips mm-hmm. during a World Cup victory. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, Heather makes the point that context is just everything. And we certainly, you and I certainly do not advocate for people, for random men to just go around kissing women on the lips. Of course not. uh, In any scenario, Mm -hmm. but uh, winning the World Cup is not an everyday scenario, is Mm -hmm. it? No. And as as Heather says, it's it was a moment of spontaneous joy. Yeah. We see it all the time in sports. Uh, We see men kissing each other. Is that assault when two men kiss each other? We see people overcome by joy, kissing the ball, kissing the trophy, kissing the ground. People do crazy things. I mean, is it assault if you open, if you spray champagne on someone else? I mean, in in Mm. an everyday situation, if you're walking down the street and someone sprays champagne on you, that's assault. Yeah. In a sporting scenario, mm-hmm. maybe not. And and people will argue, well, consent is everything. And, of course, consent is everything. But uh, you would think that in in joyful celebration, celebratory moments mm-hmm. like that, you are consenting. Mm-hmm. I would consent to someone kissing me on the lips. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe I'm just being a chauvinist. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Female but chauvinist. <laughs> I think it's blown way out of proportion. Yeah. And, you know, people have really tried to destroy his dignity over what mm-hmm. I consider to be a fairly minor transgression. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're calling him a misogynist, which I find ridiculous. And I really dislike this flippant use of the word misogyny. It's a very powerful word. And if people actually cared about misogyny, they would use it carefully because it's a it's a real thing. Misogynists do exist. And Louis Rubiales is not 
a misogynist. He obviously loves women. He's, we have no evidence to support this claim that he's a misogynist. You would think that someone who has helped a team win the World Cup, the women's team win, yeah. would not be misogynist, yeah. Definitely not. And he obviously, yeah, has a lot of respect for these amazing athletes. Uh, yeah, it's all blown out of control. And, you know, I think people do know that context matters. So why are they looking at it so unfavorably? Why do they want to put him, why do they want to create this narrative? And I don't know, it's perhaps they find male sexuality yeah, yeah. so intimidating, so problematic. Yeah. Well, I don't think the act was mm. sexual, but it could be perceived that yes. way. And it certainly has been perceived that way by many of the people who are being outraged by it. And, um, you know, I, I'm a big supporter of many aspects and strands of 20th century feminism, mm -hmm. but one strand or theme that I'm not a ter terribly big supporter of is the demonization of male sexuality mm. and it is a real thing mm. and it is you know potentially the backlash against Rubialis comes from a uh, a resentment or a contempt or, or or just a bitterness towards the kind of man that he represents mm -hmm. which is this very male mm -hmm. high tea high testosterone mm -hmm. uh quite uh attractive mm -hmm. uh, athletic athletic man mm -hmm. and um you know i don't have a problem no, <laughs> with a man like that but I'm in some people full do support of men like that <laughs> you know mm -hmm. and, and there is like there there is a, a some people just don't like male sexuality mm -hmm. just like misogynists like real misogynists mm -hmm. do not like female sexuality yeah. and have a big problem with it there's hatred of male sexuality and hatred of female sexuality mm -hmm. and both sides uh, need to come to t come to grips yeah. with life, basically. Yeah. And as Heather says, and many people have said, obviously there's a cultural thing there too. You know, I lived in Spain for four years, dated a few Spanish men. You know, they're more comfortable with showing their emotion and they are, you know, they're warm, extroverted in general people. And yeah. And Jenny, it doesn't look like she felt like she was a victim at the time. At first, you mm, know, there's some mm. recordings of her after, straight after, and they were all, you know, like having a great time, joking about it. And then, yeah, she was told she was a victim. It's interesting how we can experience events and then, and not perceive them as traumatic mm -hmm. at the time, but then people want to ascribe mm. trauma mm -hmm. to us. Um, it's not uncommon for women who are the victims of uh, certain experiences. Like it happens, it happens in discussions around sexual assault. So obviously mm. sexual assault is in general uh, an atrocity and mm -hmm. is often traumatic, can be one of the most traumatic experiences that people go through. But not everyone who goes through it does end up traumatised or does develop PTSD. Mm -hmm. And we had an article where Peggy Sartre mm -hmm. shared her experience of yeah. being in a support group 
and saying that she didn't actually live with trauma mm. and uh, and some of the activists in the group sort of bullied her into mm. <laughs> expressing mm-hmm. feelings of trauma mm. and that was that was a real eye opener for me to see how Trauma it can be a, a currency in some contexts. Mm-hmm. We're all different and we can react to events differently. Some of us will develop PTSD after experiencing some horrific things. Some of us won't. Mm. And it's hard. We don't really know what makes some people more prone to PTSD mm-hmm. more than others. But it's interesting how the people who don't uh, suffer from long-term consequences are sort of... Uh, resented or not believed. Yeah. I can tell, I've, I've been to a couple of psychologists and one in particular that I remember was a psychoanalyst. And when you go and see a psychoanalyst, they get you to talk about your life from the start, mm-hmm. like all your memories. And she wanted to give me my life history. And I, I was lying on the couch and I gave her my life history. And at the end of it, she was like, you need to come and see me every day for at least a year. And I was like, that's not happening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But the reason was that I had gone through these experiences which in her mind were all horrific and traumatic, mm. but they're not they were not traumatic for yeah. me and don't are not traumatic for me now. Mm-hmm. And so um, it was that that experience was interesting and I, just, I think that we have our culture has at the moment a bit of a fetish fetish for trauma. Mm-hmm. We want mm-hmm. to see trauma. We want people to express feelings of being traumatised. Yeah. And, um, you know, certain um, leaders of movements, for example, like feminist movements or politicians can use an event and use a person like Jenny Hermoso yeah. as – you know, a puppet essentially as further evidence of their claim. Even if Jenny didn't feel like a victim, they'll say, oh, well, actually, Jenny, you are a victim, so you should feel bad about this, you know. And it's interesting how it tends to happen more with women. Like I've never seen a man, two men talking and one man saying, oh, are you sure you don't feel bad about that? That sounds pretty bad. Yeah. Like, mm, he shouldn't have done that to you. Whereas it happens with women all the time, you know. Yeah. You can be telling your girlfriend, oh, you know, I had this experience with a guy, it was a bit awkward, but, well, you know. And you've been say, raped. Yeah, you've been <laughs> assaulted. And I wonder if it's that, like, female conformity. What's that in evolutionary psychology? It's like this idea that women tend to want... Consensus. consensus. Or social consensus. Maybe. Probably. Mm. But I think there are some, like I know that I've uh, had discussions where I'm like, are you sure you're not traumatised by that? Yeah. You know, because some people do put themselves at risk and some people do go through phases where their behaviour is um, potentially Mm self-destructive. And when people have post-traumatic stress disorder, they can often be quite numb and put themselves into more traumatic situations. Mm -hmm. So a person who has been traumatised by child abuse or whatever, Mm -hmm. domestic violence, can end up going down a path where they start drinking a lot, taking a lot of drugs, and then putting themselves in dangerous positions Mm -hmm. where they end up getting traumatised further. And they often lack insight Mm. when that is happening. Mm -hmm. I I don't think when a friend is expressing concern, it's always a case of um, 
not being sincere because yeah. we all need friends who sort of uh, care for us mm-hmm. if we're if our behaviour is de- we're doing things that are self destructive, yeah. but at the same time. It's just a fact that we don't all experience trauma necessarily when something bad happens and that's okay. Actually, that's a good thing if we uh, can bounce back and Mm -hmm. not feel Mm -hmm. traumatized. And the way we frame things is so important. Like I remember – so when I was younger, I was still in high school – I met this older guy and he was definitely way too old to be talking to me. You know, he was still like a young adult, but the age gap was too big, right? He was a bit of a creep for sure. Um, But look, it was, I enjoyed his company. I was young. I was exploring things. It was consensual. Fine. We were friends. We had a falling out and didn't talk to each other for a while. And then he came out of the woodwork, I think around the Me Too era He obviously was freaking out. He knew that like our relationship had sort of soured and I guess he felt like I might come after him or something. So he preemptively um, sent me this long apology and it said, you know, I'm I'm sorry I shouldn't have um, taken advantage of this like power dynamic. I was older than you. It wasn't right, blah, blah, blah. And that was the first time that I actually saw myself as a victim. Mm. It did make me see see the experience in a different light. And I did feel sorry for myself. And I, you know, I did feel sorry for a little while, but, you know, it doesn't affect me to today. Um, yeah. today. But just that reframing mm-hmm. um, completely... Yeah, changed my opinion of him and the situation. So yeah, and I think I think it's totally valid to resist that framing. Mm-hmm. I mean, if your life is going well and you, you have a healthy lifestyle and you're not doing drugs mm-hmm. and you know you've got a job and a healthy relationship, resist. Yeah, feeling like a victim. Why mm-hmm. should you? Mm-hmm. If something, even if something bad happened in the past, you don't have nightmares mm-hmm. about it. Like, I presume you don't. So, like, who cares? Whatever. It's in the past. You learn from your mistakes. Mm -hmm. It's when, I think it's more, you know, when people are really suffering Mm -hmm. and they haven't, they are having nightmares or they Mm -hmm. are, their life is, you know, not progressing the way they would Mm -hmm. like it to. That's probably when they go and need to see it, Mm -hmm. need to go to a therapist Mm -hmm. and sort things out. Yeah. Um, But you're right. This making someone feel like a victim is one of the worst things you can do yeah. to a person yeah. and that's what Jacinta Price said mm-hmm. in her speech mm-hmm. yesterday at the National Press Club which I know you watched. Yep so context for people outside of Australia um, on the 14th of October Australia will hold a referendum and will be asked to vote um, as to whether we want to include an Indigenous voice to Parliament. Yes. Jacinta Price is an Indigenous woman. Yep. Um, she's on the no side. Yep. And, yeah, I watched her speech. Absolutely incredible. Very moving. Um, the questions at the end were really good, the way she handled those two. Um, pretty much, yeah, her whole, like, the crux of her argument is that um, Indigenous Australians are not victims just because of their aboriginality. Yes. They are victims in the sense that, um, you know, the further away from a city they live, 
the worse outcomes they have. And as she says, the closer they live to the traditional um, lifestyle, um, which is what her her mother grew grew up in, I think. Mm. You were reading that her her mother, Bess. Bess Price is a a famous advocate, uh, Aboriginal elder in the Northern Territory, and Mm. she grew up in Humpies until she was Mm. nine years old and had her first child at age 13 and escaped from a domestic violence situation by the time she was 19. And then she met uh, Jacinta Price's father, Mm -hmm. who is white. So Jacinta Mm -hmm. comes from a mixed-race family Mm -hmm. and her own husband is Scottish. Mm -hmm. Uh, So she feels very deeply about uh, not dividing, Mm -hmm. not pitting one race against the other because her family and her background has a mixture. Mm -hmm. And I think... you know, it's a very authentic mm-hmm. position to take, mm. and and that that's how her speech could be described. She she spoke from uh, a position of authenticity mm-hmm. that I have not seen an Australian mm-hmm. politician mm-hmm. speak from in a long time. So she grew up in the Northern Territory. She's now a senator, and she's the shadow minister for Indigenous Affairs. Mm-hmm. But she she knows what she's talking about. She's experienced domestic violence herself. Uh, one of her aunties mm-hmm. uh, went missing, mm-hmm. disappeared after being forced to marry a convicted murderer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she knows what she's talking about and she's been a long-term advocate of uh, w- uh, women's safety, saving women from domestic violence in Aboriginal communities and children from abuse. And it was interesting how she opened her speech because she said that She's been discouraged or she was discouraged by another high-profile Indigenous woman called Marsha Langton mm-hmm. for making for drawing any uh, thread or any connection between traditional Aboriginal culture and current levels of violence. Mm. But Jacinta says, look, um, they believe in sorcery. Yeah. So if someone, if someone is sick or someone dies, mm-hmm. uh, payback needs to be sought. Yep. So that means um, committing violence against mm-hmm. someone else. Mm-hmm. Any, any person who reads about hunter-gatherer lifestyles knows mm-hmm. that there's a much higher level of violence in mm-hmm. hunter-gatherer lifestyles mm-hmm. than in modern mm-hmm. uh, democratic societies. Yeah. I mean, that... And that's been um, shown by scholars such as Steven Pinker, Napoleon mm-hmm. Chagnon. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a secret, mm. but there's a, this romanticization of Aboriginal mm-hmm. culture by a lot of people yeah. in Australia. Yeah. There's this idea that before white people came, mm. everyone was just was idyllic, uh, yeah. you know, holding hands, singing mm-hmm. Kumbaya. <laughs> it's not what it was like. Yeah. There's yeah. archaeological evidence that shows that a very high number of women had skull fractures and, um, you know, there's evidence of ritual torture. So, yeah. I mean, there's. I think it's important to preserve Aboriginal culture, take the good things, the art, mm. which is what Best Price has mm-hmm. done. She's mm-hmm. a, a huge champion of Aboriginal art, take mm-hmm. the good things. Leave the violence behind. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that's what Bess and Jacinta have been advocates yeah. of. And I find it very, uh, I don't know what the right word is, upsetting or offensive when I see on Twitter, for example, there are white urban lefties mm-hmm. saying that Jacinta has no right to talk about these issues. And it's mm. like, and you have yeah. you have more yeah, right yeah. than her? Yeah. So 
I finished Jacinta's speech and then I thought, no, I'm going to be fair. I'm going to back it up with Marsha's speech. And look, before I say anything, I think it's incredible that we have two, you know, strong, intelligent Aboriginal Australian women leading both these movements. Yeah. Whether you agree with one or the other, isn't it great that, yeah. you know, yeah. both They're of them are the there? Forefront. Yeah. yeah. Um, but <laughs> Marsha's speech, it's just so depressing and down and there's no energy that, you know, if you vote, uh, yes, this is going to be... Yeah. This is my image of the future. It's yeah. just all about the past. It's all about suffering and pain and there's no there's no energy to it. Yeah. And you you sent me a, a video that I listened to of I think it's Marsha's speech from 2017. So it is a while ago, but she um she echoed similar thoughts uh mm. in her speech uh recently and she says in this speech of course Australia is racist. It's a horrible racist country. And I'm just like, wow. <laughs> okay. Um, whenever I hear someone say this cult, why do Australia is racist, Australia is racist, I'm like, firstly, all humans are racist, really. Like all humans are capable of racism. It doesn't mm. matter um, what race. Uh, there are some, you know, um, evolutionary reasons that people fear or are um, sceptical of other groups of people. Um, yeah. And when you live in an incredible uh, progressive country like Australia where we've got democracy yeah. and, you know, most people live really, really well, those racial divides naturally dissipate, mm. especially in, you know, prosperous cities like Sydney. So... I really don't think that's a fair description of Australia to say it's a horrible racist country. Yeah. I, I mean, it's you'd be hard-pressed finding a country that is as racially diverse as Australia that has, um, that is as harmonious and mm -hmm. has as high, like we have extremely high levels of social trust. Mm -hmm. And I think you'd be very hard-pressed to find levels of social trust that we have any you you'd probably find it in the Scandinavian countries mm -hmm. but we're probably more racially diverse than Scandinavian mm -hmm. countries mm -hmm. we have very high uh Chinese diaspora mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we've got lots of Indians living mm -hmm. here and something like a quarter of the population were either not born here or their parents were not born here that's mm. really we're a success story in terms of migration yeah. and Look, there's, I mean, the jet, the mainstream narrative around Aboriginal disadvantage is that it's caused by colonisation and intergenerational trauma and um, white supremacy, or mm -hmm. the, or the remnants, the remnants of white supremacy and systemic racism. That's the mainstream narrative, and Jacinta Price's speech was a breath of fresh air because she completely punctured that narrative. She said, she was asked, does colonisation still affect Aboriginal people today? And she flat out said, no, mm. I don't think it does. Mm. And she said, if it does, it's in a positive way because yeah. we have running water and readily available food. Yeah. And and I, then she was mm -hmm. then she was asked about intergenerational trauma, mm -hmm. and she she I mean I think it's a complex issue, yeah, yeah. right? 
it's it's complicated. Yeah. But she made a good point, which is that on another side of her family, uh, her ancestors were dispossessed of their country and came out to Australia in chains as convicts. Yeah. And if intergenerational trauma is real, then yeah. she would have double yeah, intergenerational yeah. Yeah. trauma. Pretty, like, spicy response. <laughs> it was amazing. It got a round of applause. Um, yeah, great response. I don't, like, fully agree that, you know, there aren't ramif- ongoing ramifications now. Yeah. Like, it wasn't that long ago, like, colonisation. Australia's such a new country and, you know, but, you know, if that's her opinion... I'll take it from her. But, yeah, it's it's true that, you know, if you look through our family history, God, some of the stuff that our ancestors have been through too. Every every single person who is alive today has ancestors who are brutalised, raped and murdered. All of us come from people who committed acts of violence or who were the victims of acts of violence. That's just a fact. You, if you read, if you, anybody who understands history read, has read enough history knows that we live in an incredible era of peacefulness mm-hmm. and nonviolence, but humanity has not always mm-hmm. been like this. Mm-hmm. And we all come from tribe people who li- used to live in tribes mm-hmm. and they didn't have the same attitudes towards violence as we have mm-hmm. today mm-hmm. to play devil's advocate though <laughs> if you let me yes um people some people listening to this would say okay come on though like you are not reminded every day you don't have to see the people that abused your ancestors every day. You're not reminded of it. You don't have to live around these people. Mm. Um, What would you say? Yeah, that's a good point. And I think if you develop a fixation on a perceived enemy, it's going to become psychologically toxic over time. So in my case, uh, my family are working class Mm -hmm. and I could look at very rich people who have uh, inherited wealth over mm-hmm. generations, like lots mm-hmm. of land, mm-hmm. and feel resentful. Mm-hmm. And I could focus on aristocrats or oligarchs or mm-hmm. who are people of very high net worth and uh, say, you motherfuckers, <laughs> you exploited my ancestors yeah. who had to, you know, who were serfs or mm. peasants mm-hmm. who had to work on mm-hmm. the feudal. I mean, I could do that. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to go that back that far to see disadvantage, uh, economic disadvantage in my family. Um, And then similarly, I could, as a female, I could look at men and Mm. say, uh, you bastards, you know, you rape, you rape, you're rapists, Mm -hmm. you raped my female ancestors. Mm -hmm. But I don't don't think that's a healthy way to go through life. Mm -hmm. It's not conducive to flourishing on a personal mm-hmm. level mm-hmm. you know maybe it's just my privilege talking by just I think it's better to focus on what you can control in your own life yeah. and improve yourself uh, and and just like life is not easy mm-hmm. and we have to do what we can to improve our situation mm-hmm. every single day mm-hmm. and we do that by focusing on what we can control mm-hmm. by having strong relationships mm-hmm. you know having friends having family and just creating a life that we can mm-hmm. control mm-hmm. focusing on 
uh, past crimes mm. that happened before we were even mm-hmm. born mm-hmm. to people who aren't even alive yeah. today. To focus on mm-hmm. crimes that people committed 200 years ago is a waste of mental energy. Mm-hmm. It really is. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I don't, I don't think it's a healthy way to go through yeah. life. And from what you've just said, I can see that for for you, it's a individual thing that you, as an individual, take on the responsibility to make your life better and see the world in a more positive light. But on the other side, there are people who just discount the individual completely and want to see everything as group, mm. everything as identity. Um, racial identity, even if some of these people who might have some similar racial roots have had completely different experiences. This has been one of the main topics in this voice discussion. Like there are people who might have some Indigenous background, but they've lived in the city. They've had like even more like privileged experience than me or like you or anyone. Um, And then talking about people who have lived, you know, in really remote communities. Extreme disadvantage. Yeah, like they're similar just because they have, you know. A shred of shared DNA. Yeah. Yeah. And yet, again, people are going to hate us for saying this, but, you know, I'm half Greek. I was didn't grow up in much Greek culture. I went to Greece and was like, holy shit. I'm not Greek at all. Like, I'm Australian and, you know, we're all Australian. We're made up of many, many different cultures Mm. and it's good to have these discussions about how we can all live harmoniously Mm. with such different cultures. But Well, there's there's a good article that we published a couple of years ago by Razib Khan Mm -hmm. about uh, identity politics and it's called Not All Identities Are Equal, something like that. And it's so – it. he makes the argument, and it's a very compelling argument, that uh, race is probably the last identity that you want to emphasise because it's the most dangerous. Mm. Focusing on class identity is not mm. as dangerous mm-hmm. because class is not fixed. Exactly. A person can be born into poverty and Mm -hmm. become wealthy and Mm -hmm. so they can change, a person can change Mm -hmm. their economic status. It's not fixed in perpetuity. Uh, Gender, again, is not as dangerous Mm -hmm. because even though, you know, some of us can be misogynist and some of us can be misandrous, ultimately men and women spend a lot of time together Mm -hmm. and uh, procreate. You know, we need each other for procreation. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the animosity between men and women is just smoothed over in the domestic sphere because... It has to be. Yeah, Yeah. we enter into romantic relationships with one another. Race, on the other hand, Mm. is dangerous to amplify. To amplify racial identity is dangerous because there are... You can get to a point where one racial group does eliminate another and that Mm. has happened in history story as old as time so uh there it it, it is a dangerous form of identity to emphasize and get people paying attention to it and the risk is the backfire effect so Mm -hmm. when you get racial minorities becoming uh, very aggressive and drawing people's attentions to matters to do with race or attacking the majority identity, which might be, you know, the white identity. 
if, if white people feel they're being attacked, mm-hmm. uh, that can have a backfire effect of sort of igniting mm-hmm. white identity politics, yeah. which is what we don't want. Yeah, very ugly. We don't want people to think about their race. Mm-hmm. We want to go back to the ideal of the colourblind mm-hmm. society, yeah, yeah. the ideal that Martin Luther King uh, worked so hard mm-hmm. for and which, you know, perhaps we have had. Perhaps mm-hmm. we have had a colourblind society. Mm-hmm. It's just and it's trendy now to move away from that because of these theories of systemic mm-hmm. oppression and yeah. colonization. Um, and you know, we just we just have to resist it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about this lately because, as you saw on Twitter, I think you you re retweeted if you can still say that um, a screenshot of my. Um, I took a screenshot of the ticketing process at the Sydney Fringe Festival, which is on at the moment. So I'm booking tickets to see my mate Melody Rachel, who's performing. And I thought I saw something interesting. I saw that, um, you know, there's normal price tickets and then there's um, deadly ticks. So for people who aren't in Australia, deadly is a colloquial term that's used by Indigenous Australians and it means like wicked or cool. Okay. So they have general admission price, 29 bucks, deadly ticks, 22 bucks. So interesting. <laughs> what evidence did they require? Like, do I have to upload like a certificate of Aboriginality that doesn't exist? I've 23 and me. 23 and me, you know, nothing. So people can just buy these tickets, but it just made me think like, Firstly, what difference does it really make that, um, you know, I would prefer, you know, part of my money to actually go towards like a cause that's helping people in remote communities or something like that. Um, It doesn't do anything like it just makes people see a divide and it makes people who aren't Aboriginal think, you know, what's up with this? Why, why are we being separated like yeah. this? Why is one yeah. group? And yet again, it's an immutable characteristic. You cannot change your race. Yeah. Um, it's not like a class thing. Well, yeah, one thing that I find quite nauseating, and I don't know why it is such a dominant cultural phenomenon, is white guilt. Oh, yes. And I just find it... I. It's difficult to me, for me to wrap my head around mm-hmm. it because... I don't experience it. Hmm. I think part of it is class, like it's the conflation of class with race. So I think perhaps one reason why I don't experience it is because I didn't grow up in a privileged Mm. environment. Mm -hmm. And I know that true privilege in life is is economic and mm-hmm. it's related to class. Mm-hmm. But I don't it's I, it's a very powerful force and you see it in Australia and you see it in Canada and you see it in the the US and I don't know why it's not interrogated more because it's actually very patronizing and infantilizing mm-hmm. this idea that uh you know the 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 white people have to uh, you know, give cheap tickets mm-hmm. to the Aboriginal people who mm-hmm. don't have, you know, presumably don't have enough money yeah. to go and see the ballet. Yeah. I mean, do people not see how fucking patronising mm. that is? Mm. It's like just treat people as people. Yeah. 
have some respect yeah. for people's own capabilities mm. and agencies. Mm. You know, and where when did we lose sight of the fact that people make their own choices mm-hmm. in life? You know, and people sometimes people live outside of the mainstream because that's their choice. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have to feel sorry for everybody mm. all the time, mm-hmm. going around pitying people. Yeah. Maybe that's their choice. Yeah. Maybe they want to live outside of the mainstream. Maybe we need to respect people's agency. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, like I'm all for um, concessions. Like if you're on a low-income card, I used to have one of those, student card, like pensioner card, of which everyone of all race can apply for and yeah. get have those tickets like don't just assume that aboriginal people are poor and therefore they need like it's so yeah yeah ridiculous it's nauseating (sighs) anything more to get off your chest (laughs) (laughs) this is a safe space to Um, talk about anything well it's interesting it'll be interesting to see Jacinta Price's Mm -hmm. profile rise Mm -hmm. I think she's a breath of fresh air and I think she's a real leader and if there's Um, One good thing about this referendum, it's that it's raising her profile. And and there are so many people now saying Mm -hmm. Jacinta for PM. Mm -hmm. She offers an optimistic vision for the country. She really does. She could be PM. She offers an extremely optimistic vision. I mean, she's pragmatic. She looks forward. Mm -hmm. She's young. She's young. She's she's female. Uh, She's Mm -hmm. charismatic. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I, I'm just really excited just to watch where she goes. Yeah. Oh, mm. that'd be cool if she became prime minister one day. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, well, on that note. Yes. Let's see, wrap it up. Yeah. I'll see you soon. I'll see you soon. All, All right. right. Bye.